You know, when you grow up kind of rebuking a core part of yourself, like my spirit, like, freaking leaves my body. And so I found substances, alcohol and then drugs, and they made me feel like I finally belonged and that I had a sense of like, oh, I'm okay. Super excited to have you on here, Owen. We go a little bit back, like a couple years now. I feel like yeah. I've known you for a couple years now. Owen is two-spirited. He is Nehiao, who is adopted from Treaty 6 territory, and he was raised in Fort Nelson, British Columbia. Growing up, he felt ashamed of his queer and indigenous identity, which led him to a battle with addiction. Eventually, having, as he says, one too many near-death experiences, Owen knew he needed to get sober. And he turned to YouTube, and eventually he turned to TikTok to document his journey. Through his digital platforms, Owen started reconnecting with his culture, discovering more and more about his Indigenous and Two-Spirit identity, and he found a community that supported him throughout the process, throughout his shadows, throughout his light. And now with his digital platform, Owen is focused on inspiring Indigenous youth to be proud of their indigeneity and supporting them through sobriety and creating a space of positivity and light. And he's also since reconnected with his biological family. Owen, I feel like you've been on this journey of reclamation and I can really tell through not only what you share, but also just how you show up in person and how you show up to support the community. Was there anything that I didn't mention that you want listeners to know? First of all, thank you so much for saying that. I can't think of anything except for... (laughs) Unrelated, I was like, am I breathing too hard into this microphone? (laughs) (laughs) It's a little different than TikTok. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny that you mentioned that I started with YouTube because I I forget about that sometimes because it was such a short little period (laughs) where it just like was not working for me. And if you go back to my YouTube, it probably, there's probably like, most views was probably like 600 or something on these videos. <laughs> it was so frustrating to me. Okay, well, that's better than me because like I don't even want to mention what I was known on YouTube for. There was a time where one of my videos went viral. I don't know if you know Startle, but it was like this little game you could play online and it was like you could have like your own digital like <laughs> girl, like Barbie doll. I filmed my computer on one of those like low like digital cameras and I was filming it and I was talking over it, and I was giving away all the cheat codes and that video went like viral on YouTube to the point where I had to delete it because I was getting harassed on my Stardoll account. So like <laughs> out of that <laughs> and you like I, I don't know. I think I would rather the 600 views. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. You've come so far from giving Barbie cheat codes out on the internet to now giving, like, spiritual cheat codes. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I had to live, like, my Barbie lifestyle somewhere or the other. Totally. So you still have your YouTube videos up. So I could go search you and find the ones with 600 views. Yeah. I I think so. So I can't find the one of you? No. Are you kidding me? I erased like every kind of cringy thing on me like before I started advocating more on my platforms. I mean, there's still pretty cringe stuff out there. Like I'm not going to give the cringy stuff right now because people will probably go look for it. But No, people are already searching it up as we speak. (laughs) But I think that's a part of our journeys is like you have to go through the cringe to like feel more confident confident in who you are (laughs) totally cringe is part of the process and if you're not looking back and cringing then you're not growing i feel that comes with it though i think that's a part of the learning lessons of like being a content creator and also getting to like know how to 
use your voice is like through those through the beginning stages like you're not just like all of a sudden like a perfect you know and i feel like for me i literally started from ground zero and i was like i don't think that i can do this and i just saw people who were just already successful at content creating and like speaking and stuff like that and i was like okay i know what i have and i have nothing but i knew that i like had a voice and that i was meant to start speaking and sharing it so i was like i just have to work with what i got and hope it gets better and it really did over time no i can literally i can tell i can see the growth like through your page like you can also like if i i've been following you on instagram for a while I think what people like can relate to is the authenticity that you bring. Like it doesn't feel like you're performing or it doesn't feel like you're trying to be someone that you're not. You're coming in with like, this is who I am and you can either be here or like block and delete me. Like I'm not here to yeah. like <laughs> abide or by just your leave rules. Hate comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's always that. There's, there is a lot that comes with that, I think, but really I want to dive into like where you come from and like where you grew up, like where did your story really start from and originate from? Like, where are you from? I was born in Vernon and I was adopted pretty quickly from my indigenous family. And I was raised in Fort Nelson, BC in like a white family in a small conservative town on a farm in a Christian family. And I grew up very separated from my indigenous identity. And I knew that I was indigenous growing up. My, my mom told me, spoke freely with me about the fact that I was Indigenous and that I was adopted. But the way that I saw Natives being portrayed in like the old Western movies that my dad would watch or the history books that he had or the way that people in town talked about the Natives in town or my classmates, just all of this was information for me that like being Native was not a good thing. And so I grew up just like wanting to hide that about myself, not wanting to claim it, wanted to be is far away from the association with that stereotype as possible. You know, when you grow up kind of rebuking a core part of yourself, I don't know, this is just kind of like my spirit, like freaking leaves my body. Yeah. And for a long time, I wasn't in myself and in my body because I was just so ashamed of who I was. Alongside of that, being queer in a conservative religious family, it just... All these things were information for me that it was not okay to be who I was and that I had to be someone else. And so I found substances, alcohol, and then drugs, and they made me feel like I finally belonged and that I had a sense of like, oh, I'm okay. And that was a feeling that I had never felt. And so I just took that and I ran with it. And then, of course, there were other reasons why I was using drugs as well. Like I, I struggled with disordered eating and had discovered that drugs were like making me skinny and I was like loving that. And then like I moved to the city with like a full-blown coke addiction and I moved here with the intention to become a professional dancer and a model and just like start my whole gay boy life. And wherever you go, there you are. And there I was in Vancouver still with an addiction and still with all my problems and they just kind of, the city kind of just exacerbated them and I didn't have a place to, well, I just wasn't in the place in my life where I was like ready to heal or even like look at what I was doing. I was just like having fun. And the addiction really like took over because it was the only source of good feelings that I had in my life. 
And then I didn't get a job and I became homeless off and on for like six or seven years. One of the places that I was staying at for a while in Vancouver became like unsafe for me pretty quickly. And so I actually chose to be on the street rather than be there. And that just continued. And, you know, like it was manageable because I was still, I was just doing drugs all the time. And I was like, as long as I have this good feeling, I can like be anywhere. And that lasted for a really long time until I realized that I was just like scraping rock bottom for too long. And I was just getting panic attacks like constantly when I was high. And I was always thinking that I was dying. And I was just wasting my life away and I knew it because since I was young I always knew that I had like big potential I thought that I <laughs> was gonna be Hannah Montana <laughs> but it wasn't until I grew up and and I was in my addiction for so many years and I was silent about it for so many years and it was just this huge thing in my life that I realized that recovering from that and sharing that and helping other people who are in the same position is going to be the big thing that I do in my life and that's what I found in my content creation and in my recovery. And that's kind of my purpose at this point in my life. Well, thank you for your vulnerability and for your courage on sharing all of that. I know that like people often see on social media maybe a couple versions of ourselves, but they don't know the whole backstory of really what we've gone through to get to where we are. And I just admire that you're picking up the pieces now and you're bringing awareness to like where you are at at those points in your life and also recognizing like you didn't grow up with your biological family. So even just holding space for that must be like such a journey in itself. And it's inspiring to see like your sobriety journey and also your reconnection journey to your biological family is kind of like going hand in hand now. And so like, what made you want to reconnect to your culture and reconnect to your indigeneity? It's so funny that you say that they go in hand in hand because they really do. Like when I first got sober, I was sober for about five months before I start my recovery date because um, that recovery date was kind of like an awakening for me. So during that five months, I started to look at all of these areas of tension in my life and in my memory and things that I just knew were like stones that I had turned over and just like was not ready to pick up. And my indigenous identity was like a huge spot that I had pushed back here. And I knew it too. And so I was like, in order to become the most healed version of myself, I think I need to know who I am. And that means knowing who I've been and who comes before me. And that way I can know how to move forward and like what I'm supposed to do. But I still wasn't ready to reconnect with my biological family because I grew up with one family and I didn't ever feel like I was missing anything or in terms of a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister, like I didn't feel like I needed to go find more family. I did feel like something was missing throughout my whole life, but I didn't know what it was until I started reconnecting to culture. And then I was like, oh, that's like a missing piece. So I had thought about reconnecting to my Indigenous identity and how that would be part of my healing. And then I think a couple months into sobriety, my brother called me. We have the same mom 
different dads and adopted into the same family. And he's a bit older than me. So he's always wanted to connect with the biological family because he still has like some memories of them. So he called me one day and he's like, I don't actually remember who it was. It was either my cook'em or my brother, <laughs> or like, or like our other brother. I can't remember. But essentially, he had just gotten off the phone with one of our family members, and he was just so excited about it. And I was like, "Oh, like that's awesome!" And then we got off the phone, and I, within the span of like a week, my biological brother, a other one, my other biological brother, my cookum, and my biological mother had reached out to me, just like sending me like Facebook messages Aww. and like Instagram messages. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like I don't know if I'm ready for this because I had known it was something that I needed to address, but I didn't know that if I was ready for it just then. And that was a time when if you left an Instagram message in your like message request for a certain amount of time, it would delete it. Oh no. I was like, okay, I have like about two weeks to respond to this message. Otherwise it's going away forever. And I waited until like the last couple days and I just like responded. Yeah, I wasn't ready, but I got ready. And it is so beautiful the way that it has gone hand in hand with my sobriety because it's like all like healing my addiction and the root of my addiction and like my family trauma and my it's like this like upward spiral like mixing of healing and I went to Treaty 6 territory where my cookum and most of my cousins and everything live and I met them that following summer and I've just been on that reconnecting journey ever since and like going away to meet them or to see them for holidays and going away to ceremony with them in the summer. And that's where I'm at now, just learning and connecting. Well, and I can imagine like through your sobriety journey and through your reconnection journey, like when you are healing, you really have to go back to those roots. And so it's kind of interesting to know that like the thing you were afraid of like doing was probably the very thing that you needed to bring forth the healing that was required for like your next step so it's kind of exactly interesting that. like the things we resist are usually like what we may need to heal yeah I think like addressing it head-on is the thing that it's a it's a block whatever it is it's a block for us to get move into like the next stage the next level and addressing it head-on is the only thing that's going to get you through that and into the next phase where you're meant to be or where I, I feel I'm meant to be. I can relate to your story in a way of like my survival mechanisms and coping mechanisms is through disassociation. Like I've had that ever since I was a child. Like I also grew up in a predominantly white community. I went to a Catholic school when I was younger. I experienced being the only indigenous girl within a class. And I really suppressed that side until I like got to be a little bit older. And so like, I don't know, like disassociating from like, our indigeneity as a way to survive but then if you think about it like that's also what our ancestors sometimes did like my Métis side would just talk about their French identity and they wouldn't talk about being Métis because that was just a way of their survival and so it's funny how these things are kind of like generational where it's like oh we're also disassociating because we feel like we might just need this to survive so like this is something I'm just uncovering right now as we're speaking yeah <laughs> so just really reconnecting to the ancestors literally. and their, their coping mechanisms <laughs> <laughs> but I think also speaking about it and like bringing life 
to it is also going to, like, destigmatize it and, like, make other people feel like they're not alone. And I think oftentimes when you are battling addiction, it can be an incredibly isolating experience. My brother has gone through his own episodes of addiction and... During those processes, it's it's really hard to see someone you really love and not know exactly what they need or how to support them because you also don't want to be in a place to like police them or to like tell them what they should be doing. And so for those that are dealing with a family member that ha- may be dealing with addiction, like what would your advice be on like how we can support maybe members of the community or our family members that may be facing their own addictions? Mm, that's such a good question. And that's so hard like I can only imagine what my friends and my family had to deal with with me in addiction and there have been times when I quote-unquote received help from people who are quote-unquote well-intentioned and it was just more harmful for me and it was enabling or it was them trying to control me or scare me or coerce me out of like doing this thing but what would have helped me I think and what has helped me I have some friends who've shown me this kind of treatment is just being a presence there I don't often for me like I didn't often need anything except for sometimes like yeah just like emotional support I just think I think it depends on what this person says that their needs are. If you have a family member or a loved one struggling with addiction and you're like, how can I best show up to support them? I think that question is best directed at them. And, you know, if they come back and hit you with, oh, well, I need $500, you have to understand what your boundaries are and what you're willing to give in like a humanitarian type way, which I feel is like giving without expecting anything in return. And the support that you give also should not have strings attached. Like, I'm going to feed you, but like, you need to be doing what I think you need to be doing. You need to be seeking help right now. You need to whatever. Like sometimes people are just not ready And the best way that we can help them is just support them in like gentle ways where they're at, not trying to get them to be somewhere where we need them to be. I think it's like unconditional love. Like I think for me, like personally, I had a really big moment like with my brother where like full transparency, like my brother, he also spent some time on East Hastings. Like he was missing for like three days. I had to like go on social media, post about like he's missing and can't find like, and we had to go down to Hastings and like look for him for like what felt like an eternity. And he had been living with me at the time when I was living in Squatch Eyes Lodge. But I remember like at that point I had gave him so much that I had nothing left to give anymore to the point where I was losing sight of like my own, my own self. Like I, I didn't have the capacity to care for another person in the way that I had been used to because I had been in that state of like trying to give him so much that it really came down to like an ultimatum. I was like, okay, you're either going to go to this like rehab and like detox center right now, or you're going back to Alberta. Like I can't have you live with me anymore. And I think for him, like that was a really big wake up call and like, oh my gosh, like my sister's not going to be there in the same way that she was. And I think that's what makes it really challenging is like you love someone so much, but you also need that love for yourself. And it's like, at what capacity can we keep giving until like, there's there's nothing left. And so I think, yeah, what you're saying, like, like stating, like asking the person what they need. And then like, for me, I guess maybe giving choices too. 
I think maybe that eased the situation. Like, he had two choices. But, yeah, it's interesting because addiction just manifests in so many different ways that you don't know even what that person's going through. I think that was a good example of you, like, understanding where your boundary was and sticking within it. And... Yeah, giving him an option. Because like, hey, like this is as much as I can give, and here's that information. You do what you are willing to do with that, but I've done everything that I can. Totally. And it's so hard when it's somebody that we love, because oftentimes, yeah, you have to take a step back, and you have to like stop giving them the things that they're asking for. Because like for me, when I'm in addiction, like my world revolves around me. Like I'm just taking, taking energetically, whatever. I'm just like kind of sucking it all in and it's all revolving around me. And if people continue to give me the things that I ask for or whatever, then like it'll never end. Right. Eventually you have to set, you have to like cut off that energetic tie and just be like, okay, this is this person's journey and I need to take a step back. And whenever they're ready, if they're ever ready, then I will still be here. But if you keep that energetic cord going forever, that relationship is probably going to be freaking fried by the end of whenever they're ready to whenever they're ready to come back around. I think the best way, yeah, sometimes is to take a step back so that relationship is still intact when they're ready. Yeah, either the relationship will be fried or it'll be like super codependent where it's like you're almost like in need of each other at that point. For parents struggling with like kids with addictions, it would be so hard for me to like put boundaries up with your kids. I think that would be oh like God, yeah. <laughs> really <I> challenging <laughs> but for you personally like I know now you have come into a place where you have like more boundaries you're, you're taking care of your self-care and like where did that really like where was that shift for you I know you had mentioned like you did relapse but like where was that shift for you when you're like okay you know I've had enough of this lifestyle like I've had enough of my stuff like what what shifted for you when did that happen so I've had multiple like large shifts in my life and I think when I start my recovery date from which is like just over like two years ago in like the beginning of April or something you know what's funny actually thinking back (laughs) (laughs) that was like right around when you first started following me I remember because I had like gone through my like near-death experience (laughs) so that was like an awakening moment for me And then I came back to Vancouver after spending like a week in the mental hospital in Nanaimo. And I was like, okay, like I need to make some changes. And then I think only like a couple days later, I went to, there was an anti-trans rally or something happening. And then there was like a counter protest. And so like I went there, I posted a picture of it and somebody shared that, somebody that you follow shared that. And then I think like you followed me from that. And so it's funny that like you also came in like, at the very like beginning of like my, yeah, that awakening. But yeah, I just, so that time specifically, I just, I mean, okay, I just have to tell you. (laughs) I'm like, at this point, you have to. (laughs) (laughs) So just prefacing this by saying that I had not slept in five days. After you reach three days of not sleeping, you're like in a state of psychosis, sleep deprivation. It does weird things to your brain. So I was on the ferry from Nanaimo to Vancouver and I became convinced from the voices in my head that this ship was going to crash into another ship that I saw coming. And it is up to me to save everyone on board. <laughs> and because I'm, I'm getting these like, I'm like, this is my intuition. This is my Pisces power. I'm like, I, 
<laughs> this is so crazy. People are going to be like, wow, this this was just nuts. And I had like just watched Aquaman like a couple <laughs> weeks before. So I was like, oh, I'm like a chosen Pisces with hidden Aquaman powers. And it's my responsibility to turn this boat around. So I wrapped oh myself my in this rope and I jumped off of the ship. And as soon as I like hit the water, I'm being dragged underneath oh the water from this rope. And so my pants fall around oh. my ankles, but I'm still wearing my shoes. So like my legs are like stuck. And as soon as I like am underwater getting pulled, I realize that my powers aren't turning on. <laughs> <laughs> and I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wait, I'm the one that needs saving. (laughs) (laughs) So the rope slips out of my like body and my fingers and the ship is sailing off and I'm screaming. And but luckily there was a girl. It was like I was on the passenger, like not the passenger deck, the the deck with all the, the trucks and the cars or whatever. And there was a girl in the car with her friends and it looked like they were playing like a board game or something. There was like a few of them and I I saw them and then I like wrapped the the rope around my body and then I looked back and she was actually standing outside of the car and she was, she like had walked partly up to me and she's like, Hey, like, I don't really, I don't think that's safe. And I was just like, girl, you have no idea. Okay. Like I'm about to save all of you, but I didn't say this. I, this is in my head. I'm like, girl, like, I don't know. I have time for this. I need to save this whole ship. And then I just like jumped off. So she saw me jump off. And if that girl's listening, honestly, I'm so sorry for traumatizing you that way. Thank you though. You saved my life and I would love to meet you and like buy you lunch or something. Literally, (laughs) She saved my life. Like what can I do for her? (laughs) So she saw, so then she like reported. I think she reported, but. In the meantime, I'm I'm like in the water and I'm like, I wonder how long it's going to take for me to die. I wonder if I just like let go right now, if I sink, I wonder if it's going to hurt if I drown. And I think I should probably just get it over with now. And then I was like, no, I can't like not fight as hard as I can. And I remember just panicking and panicking and then I was like if I'm gonna get out of this this is like a quicksand situation the more you struggle the quicker you're gonna go down and I need to like switch it up right now and so I started just practicing gratitude and I was like I am grateful for my friends and I started listing out on my friends I'm like I'm grateful that I'm safe I'm grateful for all of these things and I just like I swear I like jumped timelines from like literally about to die to like some timeline that was where I lived And then I remembered that I had heard a podcast with Oprah years and years ago. And she was talking to this woman who swam from like continent to continent across an entire ocean. And I was like, okay, if she can do that, then I can swim to shore. I know it's humanly possible. And then, yeah, I started like swimming on my back. And then eventually I saw like searchlights and I was like, (gasps) like they're looking for me. Okay, all I have to do now is like stay afloat. All I have to do now is like not give up and then they'll find me. Yeah, so I started, well, I I had been swimming back to shore, but then I was like, oh, I'm actually going in the opposite direction. I need to turn around. So I like turn around to swim to them, like on my back. And then I just came up with this mantra that was like helping me like with each backstroke. I was just chanting like, I believe in the power of magic. And I don't know where that came from. It's just like what came out. And then eventually they like pulled me out of the like a, a speedboat and they came and they found me and they pulled me out of the water and 
I was just like screaming because I was just in such distress and shock and like panic, just like wailing. And they brought me back on board and then brought me back to Nanaimo and put me in the mental hospital for a week because, of course, they thought that I tried to kill myself. But I'm like, no, you guys, I was trying to save everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It was my duty. (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. This is my first time hearing this story, by the way, for all of you listening. Like, I'm like, wow, like, how did you you not bring this up when we first met? Because this would be low-key, like, my breaking story if that was me. The power of that mantra and the power to, like, just casually, like, oh, I'm swimming the wrong way. Let me turn turn it around here and, like... Yeah. <laughs> I believe in magic. I was like, <laughs> I believe in the power of magic. I, yeah. So, like, it's so funny because, obviously, like, we're Pisces. We're very drawn to water. We, like, love yeah, that shit. Yeah. And I, I'm, like, kind of traumatized by it, but I still... Like, if I'm, like, out in open water just swimming I'm like oh my god I'm like right back there well and I've heard like near-death experiences oftentimes bring a lot of clarity for the people that experience them and they also it also brings like a lot of gratitude that they start living their lives very differently after the near-death experience and some also say like sometimes they're like psychic gifts or like other stuff starts coming on um so it's always made me like really intrigued to like hear about people's near-death experiences not to say that I want to go through one not on wood um <laughs> but I imagine it would like bring a new sense of life almost to it because you're like wow I actually survived that and I still have so much more life to live and so did you start living your life in a different way obviously since that experience or like how was that oh yeah I mean everything I stand in front of you today as is a direct result of like that experience like it brought an awakening for me and it started me like living my life in a different way taking care of myself in a different way it awakened my purpose and my drive and that potential that I knew that I had when I was like younger it was kind of like in a locked box and that experience gave me the key to unlock it and the permission to unlock it because I was like if this happens again what like how much further can I go honestly Yeah, it just, it was what I needed in order for me to, like, scare me into actually living in alignment with who I'm meant to be. Well, and I think, like, living in alignment often comes with, yeah, first an awakening, but then an awareness of, like, how you're living your everyday life. Like, I think for me, something that I have a challenge with is, like, ensuring I'm disciplined enough to continuously living in alignment with, like, quote-unquote, my higher self or, like, my authentic self. And so, like, what does living in alignment with you look like on a day-to-day basis? Like, how, how do you stay committed to your sobriety journey and, like, I know, like, it comes with, like, a roller coaster of probably emotions, and it's, like, not perfect. So, like, what do your everyday, like, rituals or routines look like for you staying connected in that alignment? I'm kind of an inconsistent queen. Like, (laughs) I'm doing, like, so good for, like, a month, and then for some reason I just, like, fall off, and then, I don't know, it takes a while to get back to it. But there are practices that I come back to all the time. The most constant one is meditation, I set intentions regularly. I communicate regularly to whatever higher powers there are, whatever spiritual powers like my ancestors and spirit guides. Like I just communicate regularly to all the things outside of myself. And that also includes nature. Like I go out and I talk to nature like in my head 
and in my you, you were know? talking to a bear the other day i was like yo you are way too close like <laughs> it just was so it looked so cuddly i don't know what else to say <laughs> well and i was reading an article before we got on this call about you and it was saying how before you um make your content for tiktok that you asked to just like have creators speak through you or you connect to yeah your guides before you create content and so like what would your advice be for indigenous youth that are wanting to become a content creator or wanting to share their story like what are ways that um yeah indigenous youth can maybe start creating their own their own content and like what would your advice be there i would say that a great tip that i got after i had already started if you want to start creating content just share what you're already doing don't go like out of your way to like share stuff that isn't genuine to what you're doing if you like already are like funny or if you're already like doing athletic stuff or if you're already like making art like just share that i feel like you're most successful when you're sharing yourself genuinely i attach my purpose to sharing like all of my struggles and stuff and i understand like not everyone is like that but i'm still doing what is like the most genuine to me and i just feel like doing what feels genuine to you also like if you if there's something that you want to say say it if there's something that you want to see be it yeah be the change that you want to see in the world one thing i've also had to come back to through being a content creator is coming back to that purpose you'd mentioned but also coming back to like how do I feel when I'm creating this content? And also like if I'm creating through what I feel is connected to my heart and connected to my spirit, then it doesn't matter what other people are saying. But I know you had mentioned earlier, like there's comments out there that are not the most supportive. Like there's a lot of trolls online. There can be a lot of hate towards being indigenous, be doing, being too spirit. Like how do you deal with that feedback? Like how do you make sure you're still connected to your truth and your power despite maybe the trolls that you have online. Like, how do you deal with, like, trolls and, like, hate online? <laughs> I think it's so funny. And then I also think it's sad. But either way, it doesn't really affect the way that I feel about myself because I know who I am and I love who I am and I know what my values are and what my morals are. And when I'm acting from a place of my values and purpose, then I'm, like, I'm very strong and I'm very rooted. And, like, the things people have to say don't really even apply to me. They have nothing to do with me. It's literally, like, I see it in real time. I'm, like, they say something mean and I'm, like, that's literally an in real time reflection of what's going on inside of you and it has nothing to do with me. I understand what my responsibility is, what my role is, and taking on all of that is not it. I'm just yeah. here to share my stuff. I'm here for the self-exploration and the healing and just like spreading that outward. Yeah. I love how authentic you are. You're like, you're not scared to post like whatever you want to post on your platform. You just do it anyway. And I think like you inspire people just through that level of like not confidence, but also just like, yeah, I guess confidence in like who you who you are, who Owen is. And I think also people are changing like every single day. So like what you may put like what I posted. Well, what I posted on that start out account is no longer <laughs> no longer resonates with me anymore. So like <laughs> Can we allow people to, like, change and adapt yeah. with, like, and evolve? <laughs> totally. That's so funny. I really wish that there was a recording of that. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, when we do think of like the digital timeline that we're in, like it is like almost like also an artificial timeline, but there's also this concept of like indigenous futurism and like imagining a new future for us as indigenous people. And so when you think of indigenous futurism, like what do you hope to see within like the rest of 2023 or like within the next few years, like what does indigenous futurism look like to you? I think the idea of Indigenous futurism for me means going back like into the past and remembering our traditional and our ancestral wisdom and bringing that forward with us into the future and into the work that we do. I think across all sectors, like politics, entertainment, wellness, just everything you can think of, it's like for me, like a resurgence of the values because. I mean, we are in like a Western society, yes, but I think that there's a way that we can like bring indigenous values systems into this like future and into this modern day that is going to change everything because right now our society is very centered around self and consuming and self and like our like indigenous cultures across the world have like known that it's not just about us it's about a balance about reciprocity about like giving and 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 receiving and i think like bringing those values back into society is going to balance things out yeah just like as a two-spirit person like walking i feel like i i really take seriously that i like walk between two worlds and i I feel that in like many ways, like, you know, growing up, quote unquote, white, um, but being indigenous and like, I'm like the intersection between those and also like the male and female spirit, like the the masculine and feminine spirit. And also this is stuff that I'm like just thinking about, like verbal processing, actually. It's like not a fully formed idea, but. And I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like a resurgence of indigenous values, even though we're living within a Western society for the most part, there's still ways to incorporate that, whether that be like reconnecting to the land or like land sovereignty or like creating your own like garden or like even just giving back to your community and thinking less of just yourself and like what you have to profit off of things. And I love that you mentioned like your two spirit identity. And that was something that I also wanted you to ask you about is like, what does being two spirit mean to you? Because I know there's also like a lot of difference of opinion when it comes to like what exactly that means and how it looks like for everyone so like what does being two-spirit how do you define what two-spirit is (laughs) so for me I remember hearing about two-spirit people prior to like even connecting to my indigenous culture and I thought that they were always like trans individuals because I the ones that I saw just seemed very like physically like trans identifying and so I knew like oh that could never I guess like I'm not two-spirit I would never be two-spirit because I don't look a certain way but through my reconnection process I realized that and through seeing other two-spirit people I realized that like the way that you present on the outside is only one aspect of being two-spirit and for me I take very seriously the spiritual aspect the role aspects like we have specific like roles in our communities and in our relationships and that is what I um, identify the most with knowing like I am a healer and like knowing that if I had existed back then I would have been a 
I mean, I don't know. I don't like to talk about myself. Like, <laughs> but like, I would have been like a ceremonial leader, healer, like two-spirit bad bitch. And now I just am like reimagining what that would look like. And it's so funny to me that I'm like, that this is what I have found my purpose in. And it just makes so much sense because like, I'm two-spirit. This idea of like walking between both worlds, the masculine and the feminine and the colonial and indigenous and also I was born at the last 10 minutes of Pisces season so I'm like and and Pisces is like the oldest sign in the zodiac so I'm like right between the oldest and the youngest like the beginning and the end I'm like like I'm on the line of everything I feel and I want to be the one that like brings it together and like bridges that gap well I think like two-spirit people are that like when we're talking about resurgence and reclamation of indigenous values within western like society now that i think about it like when you think of western society it's often dominated by this patriarchal dominance like it's also very focused on the left brain and if you look at our brain like we have a masculine and a feminine side to even the left and right hemispheres of our brain so if we're only operating from the left hemisphere of our brain the patriarchal logical analytical one then it's like how can we start to bring in that rebound of that feminine aspect and of that right side of the brain that is connected to the moon, that's connected to our intuition. And so if you think about it, two-spirit people really have the formula to start like rebalancing and healing humans, like just like human beings and society in general, because we have been operating just on the one side. Okay, the way that I just got chills, because that just like makes, it just feels right to me. And like, I know that to be true. And I just feel like I... I have the capacity to do both, like the logical and the and the emotional, and I like put it forward like with love. Well, and it's interconnected too, because I think also if we try to define like what masculinity is and femininity is, then isn't that like getting back into binary thinking? So like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's kind of all like interconnected. I don't know. This is also just me thinking out loud here. <laughs> Two Pisces on a podcast is what you're going to (laughs) get. Just swimming around the waters. (laughs) Well, thank you, Owen, for like sharing parts of your journey and parts of your story. I had no idea you had that near-death experience. That is a story that I am going to continuously like listen to and reflect on and probably bring up when I meet you in person again. Um, But for those of the listeners that are wanting to support your journey, where can they find you? What are you up to in the next year? Yeah. How can listeners support you? You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at owen.unra. Oh, I mean, speaking of this, I was going to say I'd love to be on more reality television. Speaking of this, congratulations on Amazing Race. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I hope to one day be on Big Brother. I don't normally speak my goals out loud, but I'm at the point where I'm just like, you know what? Like, I got to start, like, yeah, I got to manifest it. For any producers listening, uh, Owen on the next season of Big Brother, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. And or also just any other reality TV where I can showcase myself and what I represent. We're you know? we're gonna reflect on this episode when you are on a reality TV show because it's gonna. That's happen. literally <laughs> that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, I'm gonna mention it, and then we're gonna throw back to this. Throw back exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, hi, hi, for listening to the show. If you like the podcast, check your podcast app now to make sure you're subscribed. 
I'm Shayla Olette Stonechild. You can find me along with more info on Matriarch Movement on Instagram at Shayla0H. And my podcast producer is Katie Lore. And I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>